This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. So it's uh, so nice to be here with, with all of you tonight here in the Tassajara Zendo. Uh, thank you, Linda, so much for inviting me to take the Dharma seat. I was realizing as I was preparing this talk that I haven't given a Dharma talk in person uh, for almost two years. So um, it's so wonderful to not be on Zoom and to be uh, body to body in Sangha. Um, so, um, uh, thank you, all of you, for taking care of Tassajara, um, each in the way that you have. Um, I uh, wanted, realized I wanted to do a land acknowledgement uh, for the native peoples of these lands. Um, but my understanding of a land acknowledgement is that it comes from a connection it comes from the heart. And um, though I have a connection with the Ramaytush Ohlone in San Francisco, where city center is located, um, I love this land. And I actually, I realized I don't have a connection with, um, with the Esalen tribe. Uh, so um, I see that as an opportunity. I love this land so much. And I feel that it's very... Um, it's important. Um, it's important to me. Um, so uh, I've been so um, embraced by Tassajara since arriving uh, two days ago, and um, I'm sure you experience this as well. So uh, as we gathered together to enter into that embrace uh, through our senses, dropping into the lived, felt experience of, of right now, and um, a new friend at dinner told me that he was going to listen very hard, he was really going to listen to the Dharma talk, and I thought, and how are you going to listen? How do we listen? How do we listen to our heart? How do we listen with openness? How is it that we hear? Yeah. So um, recently this, this phrase, this aspiration, this... Uh, vow that, uh, that we chant, um, to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings has, um, it's kind of gotten me the last full few full moon ceremonies when we, when we come to this vow, it's really, it really kind of has gotten me. Um, so, um, uh, to live and be lived 
for the benefit of all beings. Um, and I've been, uh, I've been letting this uh, turn me, been using it as a turning question, as a turning phrase, um, as, um, as I understand uh, this practice of uh, being turned, letting things turn us. And um, uh, this uh, to be lived, uh, to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings is um, part of our bodhisattva vow. Um, so uh, the, the, these vows, these 16 vows, the precepts, um, are at the heart of our uh, or ordination ceremonies. Um, they are uh, re-taken uh, up um, monthly in the oldest ceremony, Buddhist ceremony, uh, the full moon ceremony. We renew our vows. Um, in the mornings, each morning at service, we take refuge and we vow each morning uh, wedding ceremonies. This is at the heart of how we marry and bring relationship into the world. So, so um, to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings is, is part of this bodhisattva vow. Um, bodhisattva, I had heard this definition uh, many times and um, heard myself repeating it many times. Um, a bodhisattva is one who vows that even after becoming fully enlightened to stay in the world of suffering until all beings are free from suffering. Um, and another definition of bodhisattva is an enlightening being, an enlightening being. So um, uh, one who vows to come into their fullness to understand their depths, to understand their heights, their vastness, this vow of enlightenment, enlightening, enlightening oneself, enlightening beings. So um, I like this ing, this ing, um, enlightening being. There is energy, there is turning, there is meeting, there's possibility, engagement, as I hear it. Um, and there's somehow also coming into the present moment, enlightening being, it's happening now. Um, so for, for those who, who aren't so familiar with the 16 uh, bodhisattva vows, um, I would like to just read through them. And if you are familiar with them, um, uh, just, you know, what is there for you? What is there for each of us, if we're familiar or not? Uh, what is alive? What is, what is there now? Um, so uh, the first three are taking refuge. I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Sangha. Oh, sorry. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. And then the three pure precepts, 
I vow to refrain from all evil. I vow to make every effort to live in enlightenment. I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. And then the 10 grave precepts. I vow not to kill. I vow not to take what is not given. I vow not to misuse sexuality. I vow to refrain from false speech. I vow to refrain from intoxicants. I vow not to slander. I vow not to praise self at the expense of others. I vow not to be avaricious. I vow not to harbor ill will. I vow not to disparage the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So when I first heard these, when I first heard these uh, bodhisattva vows, uh, I remember thinking that is articulating my desire. That is articulating my hope for my life. It's articulating how I live and how I want to live. Um, so it's this part to be lived that's kind of grabbed me of, of late. Um, uh, I find that with the precepts, sometimes some come forward and are more alive and others I don't think about for a long time. But um, there's, there's something here in this turning. Um, there's something here uh, that I think is an invitation to be explored. Um, so uh, to be lived for the benefit of all beings. Um, the bodhisattva does not... Uh, have a roadmap. There is no kind of master plan. So how do we know the way as we walk? How do we know what it is to live for the benefit of others? Um, in a recent uh, presentation, Barbara Wenger was meeting with the residents at City Center, and um, she was talking about the early history of uh, city center of Zen center. And she was telling us about this foundation that they created and they were taking up all these projects. They were out in the neighborhood in the Western edition in San Francisco. And um, they were involved uh, with the politics in the city and they were, um, uh, they created a, a, a job opportunities for people in the neighborhood by selling green gulch vegetables at the corner store near city center. And um, they were getting the kids in the neighborhood um, involved with like after school work and sports teams. And they turned a park near city center. Um, uh, it was a lot and they turned it into a park. Um, and uh, the list kind of went on and on of what they were doing. And in the middle of this, Barbara was like, we didn't know what we were doing. We just did it. So, um, you know, uh, I, I kind of, I feel the same way about Suzuki Roshi, you know? I think Suzuki Roshi came to America 
and had no idea, really, had no idea that this was going to come of it, you know. He knew that he wanted to teach Dharma to English-speaking American students. He just knew that, and that was it. That was the first step. So, um, uh, you know, what is, what is this uh, vow for us here, you know, right now, uh, living in community? And I realize that some of us are here for short periods of time, so we're going out, you know. Um, we might not be staying at Tassajar through the summer or through the practice period, but for the time that we are here, you know, this is Sangha, this is community. And when we come into community, um, uh, Tenku Ruff described it as uh, we actually jump into a cauldron and turn up the heat and our karma tends to ripen much more quickly. So every day we take refuge, every day we vow, every day we recommit to our bodhisattva vows. You know, so living in community, when we are inviting, we are inviting our karma to ripen. We're, and then we are living up side by side, so close to each other. You know, what is it then that is supporting us in our vow, not only to live, but to be lived for the benefit of all beings? Um, recently, we participated in a workshop that was um, uh, led by a teacher named Janae Johnson. And I know that some of us, uh, some people down here at Tassajara participated as well. Um, on, on, we were all on Zoom. Uh, and the, the four-week uh, workshop was about healing our uh, racialized trauma, uh, the trauma that we all carry. Um, and uh, uh, Janae kept saying, um, I heard her say this on more than then one occasion, she would say, stay in the room, stay in the room, don't leave the room. And she was like, white people, I need you to stay in the room. You may be feeling shame, you may be feeling guilt. She's like, don't leave the room, I need you, I need you to stay in this conversation. And she suggested that for the BIPOC students, that perhaps um, uh, there might be a sense of victimization uh, that could arise that would want them to leave the room, leave the conversation. She was like, I need you to stay. I need you to stay and take care of yourselves. I need you to be a part of this. So, um, you know, what is it in, in our practice, you know, that helps us stay in the room? Uh, uh, Dr. Larry Ward, when he was asked what a bodhisattva is, he said that very simply and straightforward, he's a, um, he is a student of Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a teacher in Thich Nhat Hanh's lineage. And uh, Dr. Ward said, a bodhisattva is a mature adult. That was it. A mature adult, you know. 
So um, when we come into community and we are calling in our karma, we are asking our karma to present itself to us. This is my understanding. Um, you know, uh, what happens when it does present itself? You know, is that a maturing moment? Is it a moment when we're brought to our edges and we're actually able to turn something, you know, to study something? And our zazen practice, you know, is, is, is the ground on which, you know, we can then practice patience. You know, we can perhaps be a little bit curious. We can allow ourselves to be turned, you know, to open to possibility. Um, our ancestor, A. H. Dogen, in um, in twelve in the twelve forties, wrote a fascicle called Bodhisatta Shishoho, and the English translation is the Bodhisattva's. Four Methods of Guidance, or The Four Ways Bodhisattvas Embrace Living Beings. So um, in Mahayana Buddhism, the belief is that we are all bodhisattvas. You know, yes, perhaps we've, we're, we've formally uh, taken the precepts. You know, perhaps we have a formal practice, but really what we all truly want most is to be happy, is to awaken, and is for others to be happy in their fullness. Um, so Dogen's uh, guide to embracing all beings um, is a guide for us. Um, the four methods that Dogen talks about are Giving, this is how we embrace all beings, by giving through kind speech, through beneficial action, and through what Dogen calls identity action, or acting from a shared goal, acknowledging that we're all in the same boat, or as Doughton Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. expressed when he was talking about identity action, knowing that we're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. So whatever affects one of us directly or indirectly affects all. So Dogen says it is through giving, it is through kind speech, it is through beneficial action, or what we know, as much as we know, is beneficial, as much as our heart tells us that it is beneficial, and acting through this awareness that we are absolutely not separate. This is how we embrace all beings. So... Um, if you're not familiar with Dogen, um, I um, I love 
uh, Dogen's writings. They're very poetic. They're very, uh, um, uh, they, my experiences, I feel like Dogen is speaking directly to me and I'm understanding the most beautiful, profound uh, insight and then I'm absolutely lost in the next sentence and I'm flipped around and I have no idea what's up and what's down. So a little Dogen at a time is good for me. Um, and I did want to read this part about giving to you. So this is uh, the four methods of guidance for bodhisattvas, for awakening beings, or the four ways that bodhisattvas embrace living beings. So I invite you just to let Dogen's words come and see what happens. Giving means non-greed. Non-greed means not to covet. Not to covet means not to curry favor. Even if you govern the four continents, you should always convey the authentic path with non-greed. It is like giving away unneeded belongings to someone you don't know, offering flowers blooming on a distant mountain to the Tathagata, or again, offering treasures you had in your former life to sentient beings. Whether it is of teaching or of material, each gift has its value and is worth giving. Even if the gift is not your own, there is no reason to abstain from giving. The question is not whether the gift is valuable, but whether there is genuine merit. When you leave the way to the way, you attain the way. At the time of attaining the way, the way is always left to the way. When treasure is left just as treasure, treasure becomes giving. You give yourself to yourself and others to others. The power of the causal relations of giving reaches to divas, human beings, and even enlightened sages. When giving becomes actual, such casual relations are immediately formed. The Buddha said, when a person who practices giving goes to an assembly, people take notice. Know that the mind of such a person communicates subtly with others. This being so, give even a phrase or verse of the truth it will be a wholesome seed for this and other lifetimes. Give your valuables even a penny or a blade of grass. It will be a wholesome root for this and other lifetimes. The truth can turn into valuables. Valuables can turn into the truth. This is all because the giver is willing. So this final line, this final phrase Everything that Dogen has just said about giving, whether we understand it or not, this is all because the giver is willing. 
So to live and to be lived for the benefit of all beings, I hear that it completely depends on if we are willing. So we have to be willing is what I'm hearing. And what I love about our practice is that in every moment, every moment is when practice occurs. So in every moment, we are able to ask ourselves, am I willing? Am I willing now? What's available here? So, um, what did I want to say? Going back to this practicing, practicing in community, what it is for us to practice together, what it is for us to mature each other, you know. My experience living in community is that oftentimes, and this happens with family and with friends, how quickly I form a story about a person. This person is this way, this person is that way. And how uh, doing that really um, closes my heart. Um, And living close in, whether it's in a work relationship, whether it's in, uh, you know, uh, your crew here at Tassara, uh, whether it's with family, just living close in, um, there is a way that uh, we can close our hearts. And by creating these stories of each other, it is a way that we close our heart to each other. We close our heart to the mystery to the wholeness, to the possibility. So um, I, I think there is something here in, are we willing, as Dogen says, to give ourselves to ourselves and to give others to others? I think that's the most generous thing we can ever do, you know? Um, and then there's, you know, kind speech, kind speech to ourself, kind speech to others, but giving yourself to yourself and giving others to others. I think that there's something in here that is asking us to uh, stay with the edges, stay with the edges of our maturation. So enlightening beings, you know, How can I keep my heart open? What is the distance at which I need to step back, not to close myself off to someone, but actually to open to someone, to let in, to give possibility to um, something different happening here, something different happening in this relationship. I just um, was thinking of this. What just came to me was um, Suzuki Roshi being asked the question, um, you know, what 
by a student, what is Zen? Um, and he said, when you are you, Zen is Zen. You know? And I think that that's connected to Dogen's teaching. You know, when you are you, when you allow yourself to be you, when you are completely comfortable, even with all the discomforts of being you, you know. So I think that's probably more than enough for this evening. And um, do we do question and answers? Are there, is there time? Do we, we don't. Oh, oh. <laughs> do, do we have time? I don't want to go too late because I think everyone's, yeah. We have time? Maybe time for a question? So I'm wondering what is alive? I, that was a lot of words. Maybe just to drop into our bodies for a moment. Yeah. I, I remember talking about dinner and... <laughs> I didn't want to give you away. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about how like, when we do things that are immoral or violate the precepts, mm. they make it harder in zazen because you're like, judging yourself. And, like, mm. and like those thoughts just come in. Mm. Like, mm. What's a good way to like, step out of that spiral mm. when that happens? When you know you did something wrong. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I would say check it out with a friend. You know, really talk it through with a friend. You know, with someone you can trust. Um, and, or with a practice leader. Check it out with a practice leader. Um, uh, and um, I find that we can be really hard on ourselves. I was really beating myself up about an announcement that I made, and I, I felt that I, and that I had really just, in, just insulted this revered teacher, and it was very public, you know. And I said, I was telling someone this, and they said, "All you need to say is, I am sorry, I misspoke," and it was just like it was true, you know. So when I was trying to figure it out on my own, it was really, I was, it was getting way out of proportion. And then just that then opened a conversation, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and as you're saying, as you're bringing your question forward, there's also, you know, the precepts, um, the way I've heard what I've what I've learned or what I've heard is that we are already the precepts, you know? And when we rub up against a precept, like the precept is our, is our uh, Buddha nature. You know, this is who we are, you know? And, and then we vow to, yes, this is the way I'm living, you know? And when we rub up against a precept, you know, that's a growing place. That's a place of maturation. So it's not that I've done something wrong and I need to be punished. It's like, oh, something is here to be, uh, to be explored.
So it's for the benefit of all beings. Right. Yeah. How do we move that beyond words? Mm. How do we move it beyond our life or life of people immediate to us? How do we encourage people to view the Sangha Mm. more than just a Zen center? How can we encourage people to view the Sangha as it is as the world? Mm. I just want to know Mm. what you would do to encourage Mm. that. Mm. Well, I think it's, it's just very important for those who are called out, for those who are called into the world, to bring practice into the world. I think it's very important to bring practice into the world. I think it's very important to develop deep practice for those who are called to monastic practice. I also feel like it's very important to bring practice out into the world. Yeah. Maybe one more short question. Um, thank you for your <laughs> sure. Yeah, I was going to actually say something very similar. Mm. But, um, you put it so eloquently. Thank you for your thoughtful question. Mm. So, um, is, there, is there something more to it that... I guess just getting caught up on giving yourself to yourself, mm. giving to others, to others. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I view that as within a monastic practice is focusing on yourself, on your own individualistic practice and not carrying it out into the community. And you bringing up what y'all did at City Center and bringing mm. it into the community mm. is what I love to see. Mm. And just wondering some of your thoughts and not focusing too much on yourself, mm. but being able to also carry that through the community mm. and to make effective change. Mm. Yeah. So uh, the way I'm hearing give yourself to yourself is um, to accept your fullness and your wholeness and your... your um, the parts that aren't so easy to accept, to actually, to, uh, um, to meet yourself there, you know, um, and to give others to others, um, uh, you know. So often I see I want people to act differently than they're acting, you know, and it's like, why, you know. Why can't I let this person be who they are and meet them there? You know, rather than wanting them to be different, why can't, what is it? Like, that's a practice edge, right? That's a dynamic place, you know, to stand in my being, to stand in my truth, and to meet you there, you know. So, um, yeah, and and I think it's very important for us to... um, uh, for those who are called, you know, to go out and to bring practice into the world and to uh, widen our circles. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks. Shall we? Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving.